Good morning, everyone. Welcome for, to the new year. This is the first Sunday of the new year. It's like I haven't spoken to you since last year, so this is a treat for me. Anyway, it's good to see all of you here. A, a new year and a new beginning is always something that is very special. I'll speak to you more about that here in just a few minutes, but let me remind you of a couple of things that are coming up for us as a congregation in the new year. First of all, we're going to begin a new class this evening on the book of Galatians, and Butch Amix is going to be teaching that class. Butch has been working really hard on his class, doing a lot of studying on it, and so I think he's going to have some really good things to share from us from that epistle. And so let me encourage you, if not that you come here in person for the class, but certainly online, that you make sure that you are involved in listening to the class and, and learning and commenting and being a part of, of that. By the way, we're allowed to have almost up to 100 people in our in-person service, and so we've been certainly lacking in that. And so if you want to come for an in-person service, this is probably as safe a place as you can be because we practice all the social distancing, the mask wearing, and all those things, so you certainly will be safe. Secondly, on Wednesday evening, Charles White is going to begin a class on the book of Deuteronomy, and that will be a good class. Of course, Charles always really prepares well, always has a lot of really insightful things to say about anything that he studies on, and so let me encourage you to make sure that you're a part of this class on, on Deuteronomy. As I mentioned to you, we have entered into a, a new year, and as you enter into a new year, it's sometimes good that you stop and reflect back on past accomplishments from the year before. And I know to some degree, degree, when you think about last year and everything that happened, you know, because of COVID, you would say, well, it is a pretty messed up year. I mean, it was messed up in terms of how we were challenged with various difficulties uh, individually, certainly as a congregation. In our congregation, each year we probably have anywhere from 22 to 25 various events that occur in the life of this congregation. And last year, we canceled almost every single one of them except for the very first one, and that was Lori and I. We went to Cameroon, West Africa for about a month, but when we got back, COVID hit, and we ended up having to cancel, if not postpone, all the various activities and events. At the same time, though, there's a lot of really good things that we did do as a congregation that were somewhat out of the ordinary. For instance, <clears throat> we learned that church is not just a building, but it is a, a people. As much as I love to see our building filled to capacity, as much as I love to uh, be together as we all raise our voices in song and we sing so well as a congregation, as much as I love being together with everybody in that crowded kind of thing and that, that buzz that is there, that happy noise that is there, that celebrative noise as we worship and glorify God, we found out that really when it comes down to worship, the focus really is about God. The focus is not about having big crowds. The focus is not always on singing. Those, those things are all, all great. We learned from all of this that our focus in worship really is upon God, that he is the center of what our worship is about. And if we found ourselves at home being isolated <clears throat> and having to, <clears throat> excuse me, and having to worship in that kind of a, a venue, we learned how focused we really have to be and committed we have to be in terms of our worshiping God. We've become more accomplished in the use of technology like the live stream. We've really expanded it in terms of our outreach, getting the message out into not only just the country, but to our congregation and even in foreign lands. 
we have uh, learned to meet via Zoom. And I know that some of us, when we talk about Zoom, we say, you know, I am sick of Zoom. And yet companies, businesses were using Zoom way before COVID hit, and they thrive because of that use. In fact, most companies today are not flying and meeting, they're Zooming. And so we found out that we can do classes. We found that we have done, been able to do worship, children's classes, elders meetings, committee meetings, care group meetings, podcast meetings, ladies' lifelines. We've done a lot of things through uh, Zoom, and so we've had that technology, and so that's been a great accomplishment. One of the goals that the elders set last year in our, in our elders retreat in January is we decided that we, maybe we needed to be more uh, communicative, that we need to communicate more, and that has caused us or probably even pushed us into being more communicating because what we end up doing now is almost every week we give an elder update, if not uh, via the internet in a live stream or a recorded stream, certainly by email. And so we've you know, we started to communicate more to you as a congregation. Sometimes in a week we have a lot to say, and other times in a week we have very little to say. But nevertheless, we're saying something each and every week to the congregation, so we're communicating uh, more. Our podcast is new to us, and it's a way of staying connected and, and teaching. And so Soul to Soul has been a great tool that has reached out to a lot of different people. And at this point, I think Clinton is telling me that we had over 750 followers. And, and so, you know, if you haven't got on the podcast yet and seen what that thing is about, it's about 20 to 22 minutes long. And it's always has some, I think, insightful things to say in a very light kind of, of way. Our teens, they conducted a car wash that helped Damaris Ramirez after the loss of Annabelle and her, her, and, and her family. Well, it helped them in, in Guatemala, and they raised several thousand dollars in that effort. Teens also did a fundraising as well as a ministry of encouragement as we sent out cards and, and flowers. With that, they were able to raise some money that would help at the uh, Ukrainian Bible Institute there and help those students have heat in their rooms. Uh, that was a blessing to them, but that occurred. Uh, some of that was led by Elijah uh, 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 Sellers and so forth, and so our Zellers, and so that was a great thing there. We had drive-bys. We learned to celebrate with one another. We celebrated uh, birthdays. We celebrated anniversaries, baby showers, some other things. There's a, uh, probably, a, uh, probably half a dozen more things that we did as a congregation, but we did some things different as we tried to meet the challenge of this pandemic and still stay together as a congregation in real kinds of ways. At the same time, as I look back over 2020, I have to say to you personally, I have some concerns. I know the elders share some of these concerns as well, not only individually, but as a congregation in, in, in terms of what is important to us. And my concern is, is have we allowed this pandemic and this almost uh, license to quarantine or to isolate, have we allowed it to lull us into complacency? Has it allowed us to maybe back off a little bit from our commitment and our loyalty to the body of Christ and to the work of the Lord in general? Well, we can answer that by just asking several questions. For instance, one is how much time did you spend in, in God's word? How consistent have you been in your prayer life? Did you conduct your life in such a way that maybe you helped somebody come to, to Jesus? Did you give? Uh, uh, did you, or did your giving reflect a, a heart for, for God? Was worship service a priority to you? 
Or did you just kind of say, well, you know, I'll get around to that when I get around to it, but was worship a major priority? When we all meet together with one another and we have 330 to 360 people there, it seems like the priority is there, but when we're at home, has that remained a central part of your life each week and a priority for you? Was Sunday evening Bible class and Wednesday evening Bible class a priority, or did we kind of just slough the things off? And if we did, what did we replace it with? Did we, are we doing something else? Are we meeting with someone else in a, a Bible class? Or are we getting together with others? What are we doing to make sure that we are growing spiritually, that we're making sure that we're growing in terms of our knowledge of what Christianity is about, that we're growing in our prayer life, that we're growing in our commitment and our, our loyalties. So as you look at 2020, how was your life, spiritually speaking, last year? Would you say that you grew as a Christian, or would you say that you somewhat stagnated, maybe even backed up? How did you do in the year 2020 in your spiritual life? And as you look towards 2021, what are some changes that might be necessary for you to maybe take it to the next level in your life? If it was stagnated, then how do you, you move forward? If you did stay pretty well and, and you were growing, what are your plans to even grow more? Because we're never intended just to you know, live with the status quo in our lives. We're, God intends for us to continue to grow in our faith and to continue to mature in our faith, and that never ends uh, for us. So as you look at this new year, how is it going to be? One of the things I love about the new year is the idea of new things. I love new things. I love new clothes. I love the Christmas, uh, the Chris, uh, what's that word, the Chris, the Christmas of, of clothes. I kept going Christmas. I've said it so much this year, but the Christmas of, of new things. I like, the, I, love, I like new cars. I mean, is there anything that smells better than a new car? I love new books, the smell of the pages. I, I like new relationships, new directions. I like new restaurants. I like a lot of things that are new. And one of the things I especially like is I like new beginnings. And with a new year comes a new beginning, a fresh start in, in everything. And so as you think about 2021, the word new, it almost, it absolutely screams with the idea of opportunities and, and possibilities that are before us. And it doesn't matter how, maybe how much we've messed things up or how much we have, have blown it or no matter how bad things have become, it doesn't matter. Those things all get changed and erased away because of that magical little three-letter word, new, that says it is a new year. And I know that's the new year is not in the Bible, and I know that the new year is something that we've come up at with as human beings, but it tells us that there is a fresh start. And so with 2020 going out and 2021 coming in, being only a couple of days old now, there is this new beginning that is here for us to do some incredible things. And as you think about going into a new beginning and a new year, and especially when you talk about our congregation, well, there is going to be the need for entering into the new year with favor and faithfulness and with joy and peace. And the way that happens is that we are led toward that. And one of the things important to leading us to that point is that of leadership. So why am I deciding to you know, talk about leadership on the first Sunday of a new year? Well, there's two reasons. Number one is when you talk about leadership, this congregation can be no stronger than its leadership. 
if the leadership is weak, there's no way that a congregation can rise above it. It's very difficult. That's true if you're talking about a nation or whether you're talking about a corporation or, or business. If you have weak leadership, you cannot rise above that leadership. It's very difficult to do so, and the same when you talk about a congregation. The good news, in my estimation, and my conviction is, is that we do have strong leadership in our congregation. Strong leadership in terms of our elders and deacons and our ministers, but strong leadership in terms of our membership. We have some great leaders, both men, women, and teenagers within our, our congregation. And so a congregation cannot grow without strong leadership. So the emphasis of leadership is that of strength. Secondly, leadership is a gift that God has given to the church. And we've been looking at Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 1 down through about verse 8. And in that section of Scripture, there Paul says these words, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us all exercise them accordingly. And then he talks about those seven gifts that we have, I have preached through. Last week was mercy, and so that finally leads us to this last one that is out of order, I know, but I think is important as we begin the new year, and that is to lead. And he says that we are, to those who are gifted to lead, that they are to lead diligently, which tells me that, you know, even though all of us ought to be leaders at some aspect of our lives, there is a gift of leadership that God gives to the church that allows it to do some incredible things. And I believe that in our congregation, we have individuals who have the gift of what it is to be a leader. So what is leadership? Well, leadership is simply the ability to guide, to direct, and to influence others toward a desired end or toward a desired goal. If you were to say, what is the overwhelming, all-consuming goal of our congregation that leaderships want to direct us to, it would be that of glorifying God. That we glorify God in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in everything that we think, that we are to be glorifying God in our lives. Good leadership in terms of our church body or our congregation leads us to that point where we glorify God, whether it's in, in education or whether it's in worship or whether it's fellowship or service or whether it's reaching out or evangelism. They lead us in those areas. They lead us to be everything that we can be uh, to God. Jesus overwhelming, all-consuming reason for existing was to glorify God in his ministry here on earth and what he does his goal should be ours as as well well I know what some of you are thinking you're saying well okay then that leads me out because when you talk about leadership uh, you know I'm not a leader I don't intend to ever becoming a leader and if your mind is thinking in leadership in the congregation of elders and deacons and, and ministers and, and teachers and song leaders and that kind of thing, then you'd be right, because I will be talking about those things this morning. But in reality, all of us lead in some kind of, of way. All of us have a, a sphere of influence. And really, when you talk about a leadership, it really does center around this word influence. Leadership influences people to move. And so anyone who exercises spiritual influence on somebody else to help them move from point A to point B, that's a, that is a, a, a leader. Anyone who seeks to direct others to a closer walk with Christ or to mature in their faith or simply help them to make the right kinds of choices to do good rather than evil, that would be a, a, a leader. If you're an elder or a deacon or a teacher or you direct songs, you would be a, a leader. If you are a parent or a grandparent 
where children and grandchildren had been put under your charge, well, you would be a, a leader. Many have leadership opportunities when it comes down to our friends and our neighbors, perhaps even those that we go to work with, we influence them uh, in terms of their relationship with God. So every one of us can and should be a leader. You influence others, which leads us to the very first thing when you talk about leadership, and, and that is this. The gift of leadership involves personal influence. It's a person of influence. That's all a leader is. Some are really stand out front and lead in a charge, like you would think of Dick Winters, you know, leading Easy Company against the, the Nazis, or where that's George Armstrong Custer leading his men across the, the plains, or George Patton leading his men across, you know, uh, the, the Battle of the Bulge. You know, when you look at those kinds of things, leaders are people of influence. Sometimes there are high degrees of influence, sometimes there's low degree of influence, but there are all levels of leadership that's in, involved here. My point, it would be this, is that we have all been called to lead in our sphere of influence. And all of us have a sphere where people are influenced in our, our lives. Leadership is the impact that we have on those in our sphere of influence. Think about what Jesus said as he begins a sermon on the mound. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your lights so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Think about the influence of those two elements there. Salt is an influence. We put salt on meat. We put salt on eggs. We put salt on just about everything because it influences the taste. Or light influences any room that you have light in, whether it's just a candle that is flickering in a dark room or whether it's a room like this full of lights. <clears throat> they all influence the darkness that is around. And Jesus says that we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to influence the world in which we live. We are to be light. We are to display light to influence those who are around us. And Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The implication is simply this. As followers of, of Jesus, we should be leaving our fingerprints on everything that we touch and everything that we come into contact with. And since we have been using as our theme this year our identity, and I talked to you a lot about fingerprints and the uniqueness of our fingerprints and how we uniquely touch things, well, our influence uniquely touches things. As we embrace our new nature, as we embrace our gifts and our talents, we are to be making a difference in those who are around us. We should be making a difference in the fact that we have been here. You know, that we have been present in this world, and that's influence. And influence is leadership. So all of us have a sense in which we do lead. But then there are those who have the gift of leadership. When you talk about spiritual uh, fears of influence, uh, um, let me back up. It would be parents influence their their children. We are to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 and verses 1 down through 2. We're to influence our, our friends. Our, our influence our friends to be wholesome, to be good, to make good decisions or right decisions. We should influence those that we work with. If you're an employee, you should be the best employee. 
If you are an employer, you should be the best employer. Whatever you do in the work, you do so, not just for those who are around you, but you do it as if you were serving or working for the Lord himself. If you're a teacher, whether it's in the school district or whether it is a Bible class teacher, well, you have an incredible influence on your, your students. As citizens, in reference to, say, politics and the political landscape, we are to be the best of citizens. And then, of course, you influence your neighbors, the people that live next door to you and back of you and across the street. Uh, you should be able to influence them. Maybe you don't have a lot of interaction with them, but your life should be one of such salt and light that they would see a difference and you influence them because of that. Older men, uh, older women. You influence the younger men and younger women. So you see that we all have a sphere of in influence. And then, of course, influence leaves a lasting impression. I like what Daniel Webster said here in a lasting impression. If we work upon marble, it will perish. If we work upon brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work upon men's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with a just fear of God and love of their fellow men, we engrave on these tablets something which no time can efface and which will brighten to all eternity. So in terms of our influence and our spheres of influence, we make a huge impact on the world in which we live. And so God needs your your leadership no matter who you are every christian at some level has an area of influence that they lead in then to the second point and that is this special gift that i believe god gives to individuals to an influence that that stands out that stands out front and one that that leads that word that is found there in Romans, the 12th chapter in verse 8, where it says, if your gift is that of leading, then lead diligently. The word lead there comes from this word prohistomy. Prohistomy means to stand out, to stand before or to stand in front. It's actually a conjunction word, but it's the idea, it's almost a military kind of thing where you stand out and you lead the, the charge. That's the idea that comes from there. I like something that John Maxwell said, he says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. So what is he talking about? What he's saying is that a leader is a person of vision. In every attribute that I'm going to talk about a leader being that has this gift, Jesus can be seen in every single one of these. For instance, Jesus had a vision. His vision was a bright future that would pass down to us to this day when you talk about the church. That was his vision that he would build the church. The gates of Hades would not prevail against it. In fact, he said over in Acts 1 and verse 8, he said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the world. That vision is here even this day. He saw it from afar. He was a leader in terms of vision. Well, leaders are people or is a person of vision. Well, I thought about this word vision, and so I looked up in the dictionary, what does the, ver the word vision mean? What's the definition of vision? Well, it's a faculty or state of being able to see, the ability to think about the, the future with imagination or, or wisdom. It's a mental image 
of what the future uh, is to be like or should be like. It's a dream or an imagination with a plan. It's not a pipe dream. It's a real dream and something you dream about, this vision, and that vision has a plan that's involved with it. So when you think about, uh, say, our congregation, you know, I believe that our eldership has some great vision. It's true last year that, you know, we had to cancel almost everything that we were going to do in 2020. Uh, at no fault of anyone's own except for this very small virus that you have to look under a, a powerful microscope to even see. But nevertheless, that thing has really challenged us. And so the goalpost has continually moved on us. Wear masks, don't wear masks. Social distancing is, is there. How many can meet? You can meet with 25. You can meet with 50. You can meet with 100. No, you can't. You got to go back to 50. There is this stage. No, you got to move to that stage. And so it's, it's constantly, it's a goalpost that has been moving. But nevertheless, the elders still have vision for what our congregation needs to do in 2021. And so they have plans, or we have set forth plans that we're going to try to accomplish. It's true that probably in January and February, maybe even some into March, that we're not going to be doing a lot collectively as a congregation. Uh, this vaccine is starting to come on board, and hopefully by April, almost everybody will have the vaccine. That's what our hope, and that it will be super effective, and that we'll start to move past some of the things that we have had to, to do. And so the elders started making plans last year of what we're going to do this year. Some of our discussion was, well, can we make plans for next year? Because what if we're still in the midst of this pandemic? And the answer was as though, no, look, you can't allow the, 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 the virus to completely shut us down. We got a plan for the future. And if it doesn't happen, then we can make changes here. But right now we got to make plans to move forward. And so we started putting together things and we have like 22 activities that are going to officially probably begin in April with LTC. It's not going to be the full-blown LTC that we've done in the past, but nevertheless, this leadership and training in Christ, we have teens that are going to, and children that are going to be involved in that thing. In May, we're going to have a ministry fair where you're going to be allowed to say, here's the area that I think that I'm the strongest in, from service to fellowship to education to worship to evangelism and a multiplicity of other things. There's going to be an adult a teacher workshop, a finger food graduation and celebration for those who have graduated that we didn't get to really do in full force uh, this year. In June, there will be a single mom's uh, care clinic, Mountain State's children's home uh, mission effort. We're going to do a widowhood uh, workshop. We know that we have those who are widowed in our congregation as well as will widowers. And so we're wanting to uh, do a workshop where we help them uh, through that process, but not just for them, but for the rest of us to go to the workshop and learn as well to how to deal with grieving and how to deal with death and how to deal with people who are struggling with those areas of their, their lives. In July is Ivydale a young adult camp, Ivydale preteen camp, Ivydale teen camp. You notice it says to be determined by the camp board. August, vacation Bible school at the very beginning of the month. Month There's going to be a young adult uh, family seminar that's going to be conducted. 
September is going to be Camp Ivydale Youth Rally. This is going to be a ladies' retreat, a Friends' Day, and evening fireside devotional. There's going to be a teen retreat. By the way, I think we did do the fireside devotional this year, didn't we? So that's one of the things that we did. We, we did. Uh, there's going to be a teen retreat, a men's retreat. So a lot of things are, are happening. October, teen area-wide uh, devotional, spiritual growth lectureship. Our theme this year is uh, there is no proof of God. It's apologetics about the proofs of, of God. Trunk retreat, November, Camp Ivydale pie auction. And then for the first time, we're going to do a mission Sunday where we're going to emphasize our mission work. Did you know that we probably spend almost a third of our budget on mission work along? I think our mission budget this year was around 95000 or something like that. I think it was close to that. So we're, we're really highly involved in mission work, and that's where we should, uh, we should be. All I'm saying to you is that a lot of things are going to be happening in 2021, and it's all because of vision of our, our leadership. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so there must be vision that is there. So Leroy Imes, he wrote these words there. He says, a leader is one who sees more than others see, who sees farther than others see, and who sees before others do. That's what leaders do. That's what men of vision and women of vision uh, do. So leadership is the capacity to translate a vision into a reality. So we're going to be working hard as leaders to move our congregation. You know, we're, we're, you know we don't want to just be status quo. We just don't want to sit idle and isolate. Our vision is to be back together with one another and moving forward in our, our work and in our ministry. A leader is a person of endurance. Look at the life of Jesus. He endured all. There were, he had those that, that ran ahead, a lot of pushback in his ministry, a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges and obstacles, and yet he endured all the way to the cross itself and finished his, his missions. Well, leader is a person of endurance. Leaders have the willingness to push through the tough times. I think if there has been a test for our congregation, and it has to be 2020, I can't remember a year in my ministry, which has been over 40 years now, I can't remember ever a year where we have had to face so many challenges to keep our congregation healthy and, and strong and, and staying in there. Well, leadership have to push through tough times. They can't give up at the first sign of resistance. Uh, we can't be negative or cynical or pessimistic. Uh, there is a part of you that wants to be that. There's a part of you that wants to say, you know what, we just can't get over this hurdle. We just can't get there. But a person of vision and a person of leadership is one who endures and can't afford to become negative. It simply seems that as a lesson learned, and you learn from the lessons and you move you move on. You figure out different ways to do things. And so we as a congregation, even though we had to shut down some things, we came up with a number of different kinds of ways uh, to do church and to grow spiritually. Uh, you not only have to see what other people don't see, you have to do what other people are not willing to do. That means you lead by example. You put yourself out there. Some of you have heard of Dick Winters. Dick Winters was a major. Well, he actually was a lieutenant, and then he became a, a major. Um, he served during World War II. He was a part of the 101st Airborne Division. In one action 
uh, action, it shows him running across a field. And they're supposed to go at a certain color of a smoke that is thrown, and he jumps the gun and he runs across this field uh, towards the enemy lines, and all of his men are standing back. They're waiting for the right smoke, and then the smoke goes. But Winters had already went across the field, came over a berm, and engaged the enemy all by himself, and then his men caught up uh, with him. They were interviewing the various men who served under him, and one of the things they said about Dick Winters was he says, this guy always led the charge. He didn't sit back and watch. He is a person who is willing to do everything that we did and even more. That's what leaders do. Sometimes leaders have to do what no one else wants to do and make decisions that no one else wants to make. The picture behind me is it's Larry Bird. The reason why I have Larry Bird up there is Larry Bird was number 13 in the NBA. He's an all-star, or well, he was an all-star, but he's also in the Hall of Fame, basketball coach, all those things. But Larry Bird, a bird in his prime, uh, when he finished, he had like an, I think it was like 85.65 percentage in free throws, the 13th greatest. Now, so far, probably the greatest is not Larry Bird, okay? Um, I'm trying to, Stephen Curry right now, I think he shoots like 90.67% of all of his free throws he makes. But he hasn't finished his career. What I did do is I did some research on Larry Bird, and they said about Larry Bird that as he was getting prepared to one day be the great basketball player, that he would shoot 500 free throws every morning before he'd go to school. I mean, think about that. 503 throws before he went to school. In other words, his greatness didn't just happen. He had a God-given ability to play basketball, but he still had to work at it. Or this guy, Dustin Johnson, he is the number one ranked player in the PGA. But Dustin Johnson, if you've followed his career at all, know that this guy has went through a lot of challenges and a number of of struggles and just had some things happen to him that you would not expect to happen and end up would lose a major but eventually he starts to win majors and then he starts to win the masters and now he's the number one ranked but i'm here to tell you that this guy here hits hundreds and hundreds of balls on the driving range every day he practices chipping and putting he lifts weight he runs he exercises he keeps fit in order to play golf one year this is several years back Laura and I went on a road trip, and we went down to Monterey and Carmel, and that's where Pebble Beach is. And so we went to Pebble Beach, and they have a clubhouse there. And so we went into the clubhouse, and in the middle of the clubhouse, between that and the, the store, is a putting green. And the putting green says, for members only, but somehow I found myself on the putting green, putting a few balls. Well, on the putting green that morning was Dustin Johnson. He was incognito. He's wearing a pair of flip-flops. He's wearing some black sweatpants. He's wearing a, 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 uh, just a, a pullover um, sweatshirt, and he's wearing a San Francisco Giants hat. But I recognized who he was, and I knew who he was, and I was watching him. And I was watching him. He was practicing putting. And this guy, whether he was 10 feet away or whether he is this far from the hole, he set up and he always went through his exact routine. He didn't walk up to the ball and just kind of go up and go, and just put the thing in, he went through his routine. What I'm saying to you is that their greatness does not come just because of God-given talent that he has given to them. It comes to a lot of hard work and a willingness to move through the drudgery and the disappointment and the discouragement. 
And I'm here to say to you is if you are to look at most of these high-quality athletes, you'll see that they went through drudgery, disappointment, and discouragement to get to where they are. That's what leaders do. That's what congregations do. Everything is not roses in the church. The church has to move through ups and downs, Well, so does leadership. Good leadership endures all the way to the end. A leader is willing to sacrifice for the people. Of course, when you think about sacrificing for the people, you automatically think about Jesus. Listen to what John Maxwell said. He wrote this book called 21 Indisputable Qualities of a Leader. He says, there is no success without sacrifice. A higher, the higher the level of leadership you want to reach, the greater the sacrifice you'll have to, to make. And of course, Jesus was that perfect example of going, if you want to go high, you have to be willing to sacrifice all and that's what Jesus did. He ultimately sacrificed his life for the people that he was leading. And of course, that passage of Scripture that you're all familiar with, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be stolen, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. I want you to think about that for a second because the cross was a place of humiliation. It was to bring the person to the most lowest level that you could possibly be brought. And that's what Jesus did. But God takes that and elevates him and, that, and elevates him to the highest possible level that he would be called Lord. And confessed as Lord. That's what leaders do. They make the necessary sacrifices and then they stay the course. Finally, leaders see themselves as, as servants. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And then he talks to us and to his disciples and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. He says the way to the top in the Lord's body in any place is to be that of a servant. So it's the inverted pyramid. In the world, it's the other way around. But in the church... Great leaders are great, are great servants. As you know, uh, two years ago, in May, uh, I think it was May, uh, I made a trip over to Israel. And it was a tour, and so we were on a tour bus. And on this tour bus, uh, John um, Moore is the guy who kind of leads us and teaches us a lot of things. He's great with archaeology. He's going to be here this coming, uh, this, this, this year at our lectureship, if, if all goes well with him physically. Uh, you know, he was preaching or teaching the class, and his heart just stopped, and he just fell over. And, the, well, he ended up surviving the thing, but he's really went through a lot. Anyway, I don't know how I got on that. Anyway, on this tour, we have a, a tour guide. His name was Asfi, and he was born in Israel, and he's a man probably in his 50s. Super smart guy. Anyway, he would tell us about different things, and he would show us things. He would show us camel herds and explain to us, tell us about uh, camel herds and, and about those who drive the herds. And he would talk about uh, 
shepherds and flocks and anything that would come up he would talk about those things i was reading about a tour guide who was was talking to some of those who were on the tour and he was talking to them about some things that they could expect to see in in israel and as they would drive along as Asfi did he would tell them different kinds of information or give them information and at one point they're going down the road and he can see off at a distance a flock of sheep and so he starts to talk about the character of a shepherd and he says the character of a, a shepherd is great he goes a shepherd he will be with his sheep day and night protecting them uh, making sure that they are fed or, or led to to good uh, water and to and to good uh, range to feed on uh, he is one who knows them all by name and they all know his voice and he is tender with them and he is loving toward them and he never pushes them he always leads them alone along well as we're going on as they got closer to this flock of sheep he notices that the shepherd is chasing the sheep all over the place throwing rocks at them and yelling at them at the top of his lungs and trying to push them into a pen and this upsets this tour guy and he tells the guy to stop the bus and he went over and he in a very coarse kind of way said to him, what are you doing he goes, I've been telling these people what a shepherd looks like, and you're not anything like that. What's going on here? And the man says, wait, wait. He says, you, you had this all wrong. He goes, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a butcher. And I got to thinking about that. And the thought that came to my mind is that leaders lead by example and not by force. First Peter, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 5, goes down through shepherds. And it says that shepherds were not to lord it over them but we are to lead by example so godly leaders they don't drive or whip the people into obedience they lead by their example their compassion their concern for god's flock so how do you know if you have this gift of leadership okay well we're going to fly down through these pretty fast and uh because i don't want to keep you here all morning but you can see all the different things that says, here are some areas that you can know whether you are a leader or not. And so just as I went down through, you were reading them off in your minds. Does that sound like you? And if it does, then that means you have the gift of leadership. You know, when you talk about leadership, I, I probably had at the beginning of the sermon, I had like, I think I had like 10 different points that I, that I had down that a leader is this. But so I had to choose a few. You know, obviously a leader loves. Obviously a leader shows compassion and concern. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that leaders do, but that gives you an idea. This kind of gift is usually observed in folks that take charge of situation and make things happen in the church. Elijah Zeller, one of our teenagers, you know, we didn't say, hey, come up with a car wash. Come up with a day of fasting. Come up with a day of encouragement. He came up with that. He's kind of a meek guy, but there's a leadership quality within him that you can observe. At its best, it's a gift that glorifies God and guides the church. As I close down, I want you to listen to what Keith Cox says. 20 centuries after the gospel was first preached, how is it that the gospel is still potent, still active, still vibrant? Nero, Napoleon, Stalin have all gone their way, and so have the empires they ruled. But the gospel has not. Many philosophies, many schools of thought have had their day and faded away, but not the gospel. Why? John Henry Newman, one of the most important Christian thinkers of the 19th century, provides a compelling answer. 
The gospel has been upheld in the world not as a system, not by books, not by arguments, not by temporal power, but by the personal influence of such men, and I put women and teens, who are at once the teachers and the pattern of it. Leaders influence people and move them forward in positive ways. Leaders change the world. May God grant us more of them in our congregation and as we do his will. The most important thing for you, though, right now is to think, are you following the great leader, the great shepherd of all? And that's Jesus Christ. And if not, ask yourself, why not? And then make your decision this morning while we stand and sing and give you opportunity to respond.